So, as I mentioned, we're reading this book. <coughs> this week, we are talking about Naomi and a Stranger. So, for those of you familiar, this is the book of Ruth. Who loves this book? Anybody love the book of Ruth? And usually it's like a girl's favorite Bible book. Um, so this one's called Naomi and the Stranger, The God Who Doesn't Turn Up at All. So it says, the, kind of the quote at the beginning, which we have been just been doing every week. So, in which a widowed lady meets a stranger who turns her world upside down, and we ask, if God is out of sight, are we out of mind? So over the last four weeks, um, as I mentioned, we kind of have been exploring different stories of the Bible um, around the kind of our alienation from God, who's both absent and present. So we talked about Adam and Abraham, Jacob, and last week we talked about Gideon. Um, at some point or another, they kind of all struggle with different spiritual or physical um, experiences of either home or exile. So, um, but they all kind of had these weird offbeat circumstances where they all met God through some sort of stranger, whether it be another person, whether it be a strange figure, a strange vision, a strange dream, whatever it happened to be, kind of they were able to experience God's hospitality through that strange um, event or person. Um, and last week, as I mentioned, we talked about Gideon, um, and we talked about at the end, we were confused on kind of how the story seemed to end with a disconnect of his personal life with his public life, so he kind of went, his whole kind of like embodiment was circled around, you know, his faith, and then he led the people astray at the end, and we were kind of like, what does that do for us? Like, what does that mean for us, right? He went through this whole journey, um, and how do we bring that back? So, so can any of you guys empathize with kind of that disconnect between, like, personal life and your public life with respect to faith or God or anything like that? Have you guys spent too much time keeping up your appearances to disguise, like, maybe what's really going on underneath the surface that you don't want others to see? Anybody see this in yourselves, in your friends, in your family? Does this feel familiar to you guys? Yeah? Or maybe it's you've claimed outwardly that you have confidence in God, but inwardly you struggle with doubt um, or sense of dullness or disillusionment. See a lot of heads nodding. <coughs> or maybe deep down you believe in a loving, powerful God, but to anyone looking on, your life looks like a mess, just one disaster after another. Anybody feel that? I kind of feel like that today. <laughs> Behind the closed door, we're a hot mess. But here, we look pretty good and presentable, right? Um, so it's obvious why we all long for God to marry that strong, secure faith with a steady, kind of sorted life. We want, like, the happy world, right? No, we don't want to live in kind of the discontentment or disillusionment or... Um, Catastrophes or crises, we don't want to live in those spaces in the world, right? So we always want God to kind of change our hearts and our situations, but when he doesn't turn up, we are typically left alone to struggle and to suffer, and we realize our biggest disconnect is actually from God himself. You know, and you guys, we talked about last week about, for those of you who weren't here, about like the peaks and valleys that we go through in life, and like when you're down in that valley, how do you get yourself out, right? That's kind of typically where you are. You're kind of alone, kind of sometimes wallowing in your own mess, right? Like, oh gosh, what do I do? How do I get out of this? Where is God? Is he really here? Do I feel him present? What's going on? Only to come when you get back to that peak, you realize you're just disconnected from God all along. Um, so I think the book of Ruth highlights this disconnect, um, specifically in Naomi, as she and Ruth, who are 
two very different people. They're technically strangers, right? So um, John's going to cover the actual kind of story of Ruth, but um, you have a Moabite and an Israelite who have nothing left to lose, and they kind of go through all these different struggles together to come out to a happy ending. So you see it's a, it's a true story of the peaks and valleys we talk about going through. Not only those stories in the Bible, but I think it's most relevant to like how we live our lives. Um, so the difference in this one versus the last four weeks, so I just talked about earlier, is that in this book, God seems completely absent. Like There's no talk of divine visitations, um, no prophecies, no priests, no visions, no dreams. Nothing is talked about or referenced kind of throughout this book, um, which can kind of talk about go back to those peaks and valleys. So I kind of feel like that's how we actually go through and experience life ourselves. Or we, you know, have kind of come to think that there is going to be no divine intervention or, like, no vision, no prophecy, no, like, we're not waiting for something like, you know, thunderbolt miracle to happen and poof, everything is fine, right? So it's interesting. Um, you think about running like, you know, John and I are runners. Not so much lately. We have a baby. Um, but um, if you think about whether it's the mundane training for that first marathon, dealing with a new baby, dealing with a sick grandparent or a dying grandparent, um, or midst of any other type of crisis that you could think about or challenge within your life, um, I feel like we come to expect that none of those things are going to happen. We're not going to see like, oh, God's going to give me all this energy so I can finish this last 10 miles. Like, we kind of just don't think you must start up yourself and where does that kind of come from? So... I think it's just when we need God the most, he feels the most absent, right? So I know like when I've been running and it's like the last like five miles, I'm like, just take me there, right? And so you kind of get that whole like mundane, like you fall into that valley really quickly when you're alone and feeling kind of sorry for yourself. So for those of us who struggle with God being so much of a stranger that he doesn't turn up at all, let's take a quick look at the book of Ruth and specifically the story of Naomi for a different perspective. Oh, that's my cue. That's me. That's me. <laughs> um, I have mixed feelings about Ruth. Um, I love this story mainly because it's like what I would consider like one of the most straightforward books in the Bible. It's like there's not, you know, millions and millions of backstory and pages of commentaries that you can read on this story, you know, story. And so it's a pretty straightforward book. Um, at the same time, that as, as someone who, you know, really likes the deep stuff, I tend to like skip over Ruth oftentimes because it's like not a story that I find to be, um, you know, incredible. And so it's not like the book that I constantly go back to. And so when I, like, I literally probably read this for the first time, like, read, I read through the whole book of Ruth, like, earlier this week, and I was like, no, I haven't read that in years, and so um, I was I was glad that I was able to kind of um, I guess dive back into the story and kind of understand it on a different level, coming from a different angle than I think I've read it before. Um, it's like I said, it's like one of the most straightforward books, um, and it's probably in the whole Bible, if not for sure, probably in the Old Testament. Um, there's little symbolism. Uh, there's not a whole whole lot of analogies, references to other books and stuff like that, which makes it, it just an easy read. Um, so the book starts 
with you have Naomi and and her husband. I can't even pronounce his name. Elimelech. Is that sure? Fair enough. Um, and um, they are in Bethlehem, and this is during time of famine. Um, this is during the time of judges, so that we kind of know that that is um, the land is kind of being ruled at that point. But uh, they are in need of leaving because of this famine, and so they are going and leaving to go to a safe place, and so they go to Moab. Um, which is kind of a foreign land. I even looked up kind of to see where it was, and I'm not even 100% sure how far away it is. It doesn't seem like it's super far away um, from Bethlehem, but there was obviously food there. And so Naomi, Elimelech, and their two sons go there, and, um, and they are there, and they start, you know, finding food, and they start finding uh, resources there. And then... Um, I guess the sons marry two women, Orpah and Ruth. And then Elimelech dies, and then about what we're told, like 10 years later, um, the sons die. You know, we're not told why, we're just told they died. And so you're left with Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, um, the other wife. And so you end up with these three, um, mother-in-law and two, two daughters-in-laws, and they're in this foreign, in Naomi's foreign land. And then Naomi gets this word that, she, hey, guess what? We are going, we're going to go back to Bethlehem because there's now food there. It's now safe to go back there. And so they start their journey back to um, Bethlehem. Somewhere along the way, um, Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth to go back to their homeland. They're still young. Go remarry. Um, you'll have a better life going back. They both, both of them protest. Uh, Orpah at some point eventually says, hey, I'm totally okay with, like, leaving. And so she kind of reluctantly does. Ruth, however, holds her ground, her stubborn ways. Um, and so she ends up, um, so in, she ends up going with Naomi. Um, let's see. Uh, so they go back to Bethlehem and they are in a safe place. Um, and they are greeted, they are greeted there but as widows, they are loved by their community. They're, you know, kind of seems like there's some excitement. People recognize them. And then Ruth starts to glean from the fields. If you know anything about gleaning, that really just means that widows by law from Deuteronomy, uh, by the law of Deuteronomy, they are, if you are, I guess, harvesting your wheat or your crops and you drop some you are not to go back up and clean it up that's left there for the widows and the people who are in need and so it's called gleaning when they come behind you and pick up that and so uh, Ruth just happens to wander into Boaz's field and starts to uh, glean from him um, 
I don't think even at the initially she realizes who she's gleaning from, but ultimately Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. Um, and so um, he finds favor in her. He actually starts leaving extra wheat and uh, in his fields and they start taking care of him. Uh, she starts to work alongside the other female servants. Um, this is where the story kind of changes. So I don't think we're not really told a time frame of like how long this is going on. Um, but then Naomi plays what I call matchmaker. Um, she sees an opportunity with Ruth and Boaz to maintain the family line. Um, based on historical law, Boaz is actually the next in line to marry Ruth due to the fact that um, he is the closest relative in the descending line, which is kind of weird, but that's how it is. Um, so then Ruth goes and does what Naomi says, which is to go and strangely uncover his feet while he is sleeping and then lays down and waits for him to wake up. Um, he wakes up. She then says, hey, you should, um, you, I want you to be my protector. Um, and then we have kind of this, like, he goes, okay, cool. And like in this, like really it is like that. It's like, oh, okay. And, and there's like this, kind of scandalish kind of thing that goes on with um, you know what does it look like with Ruth being there on the roof like it's there's like this weird I was reading this like segment of this commentary the fact that she laid at his feet and not laid beside him is like a big deal because it's like this whole like hey I'm, I'm going to keep my distance from you at the same time as being respectful of kind of doing that so but Ruth ultimately asked Boaz to marry him, and uh, she said, or he said, cool, there's like a whole underlying there, but we're going to skip over that part. And then the final chapter, um, they marry, and from that marriage there's a child, and from that child there is the descendant of David, and then ultimately Jesus. So, there you go. That is the greatest paraphrase of Ruth you've ever heard in your entire life. That is false. So... I think what's important to call out is like it's interesting at the beginning of the story where Naomi is a stranger in a foreign land and they and the Moabites like they welcome them and love them regardless of their being strangers in a foreign land and then you know then they become widows which is in that time in the setting that's very they're very vulnerable at that time as a widow within the context of where they're at so like you know, they can be picked on, they could be left for scraps, you know, like there's a lot of things that go along with that. And then for Orpha and Ruth to want to go back with Naomi to a strange land, a foreign land to them, even though it's now Naomi's home, so like the roles just completely switched. And that's where I think you see Ruth kind of drive that, you know, <coughs> sense of love and kind of commitment to one another, right, that we get out of that story from that moment on the back road from, you know, to back to Bethlehem. I think that it's just, 
it's crazy where you kind of pick that up. So even though like Naomi was, you know, at probably her lowest point in her life where she was in a foreign land trying to just make things work for her family, then became a widow, then she lost her sons, now she kind of has nothing, right? So can you guys just imagine what that would feel like as a woman or as a person to lose kind of your whole life, right? Like the most important people in your life are now gone. And so she's clearly asking herself, where is God? Why, you know, why this? Why me? What happened? And so I think that's just a, a pretty big call out to the testimony of this story in the book and about God being, you know, if he's not there, is he out of mind, is it out of mind, out of sight type of thing, right? Um, so anybody been to... Oxford, the UK, anybody? All right, so if you guys think about, like, if you ask where is God, right? And so it's kind of like the context they use, the example in the book they use was, like, walking around Oxford looking for a university. Um, so it's both nowhere and everywhere, mainly because the college is, is broke up throughout the city. And so it's kind of like there's not one single location or central point for the university. You know, like Lipscomb, you go there, and it's it's there, right? There's a campus, all the buildings you need are like right there, you can walk in between, right? So it's a little different. Um, and so if you gotta think about that in the context of asking where God is, he's kind of both nowhere and everywhere at the same time, right? So if you look at back of the book of Ruth, God was present in, in Israel when the famine came. He was still sustaining the universe when Naomi's husband and sons died. He was showing his mercy through the refugee girl Ruth when she chose to stick by her grieving mother-in-law on their way back from Bethlehem. Um, he was taking special care of the widows and the strangers in the story, so not only blessing them, but blessing others through them. So if you think about specifically like um, Ruth and Naomi, he was actually blessing Naomi through Ruth, right? So kind of Ruth brought God to Naomi, even though Naomi was kind of down and like, you know, kind of lost hope for all extensive purposes. Um, God was in the detail when Ruth just happened to be in the field that was Boaz. Um, and he was also in work at work in Ruth's care shown to Naomi and Boaz's generosity to his employees and to Ruth and also in the town's hospitality towards their new family unit, right? So back in Bethlehem, when Boaz decided to marry Ruth, there was already talk, like everyone knew who Ruth was. Everyone knew she was the foreigner. So they could have kind of like not had to accept them. Well, now you're marrying a foreigner. It's different, right? Um, so, but they did, right? So that was definitely God's present kind of in that town's hospitality. So if you think about kind of the conclusion, um, it really concludes around the acknowledgement that really God is to be glorified as the ultimate provider. Um, so he might have been out of sight, but we were never out of mind, right, for him. We were never out of his mind. Um, so he doesn't need to turn up when he is there all along, right? So if you think about the university, he's nowhere and everywhere. So this is kind of that testimony back to Naomi. So God, although he appeared to be completely absent in, in how she talks through the story and, and her visibility of the story, um, he actually reveals himself through Ruth and through Boaz. And both of them contribute to kind of her positive transformation. Um, 
and in reality, it's not just Ruth and Boaz, but the kindness of other strangers that come into Naomi's life, the women in her village back in Bethlehem. Um, that surprising grace of God that we always talk about is shown to her um, by others. And really that is what heals her soul and gives her hope again. And things go on and you continue to see where you know, Ruth and Boaz have the baby and it's kind of like Naomi takes the baby and it's like, whole new light right so she's coming back out of that valley and now getting back to the peak to understand and see so if you think backwards was Naomi really just disconnected from God all along you guys think he was there and present she was just missing the mark what do you guys think has anybody read the book of Ruth are you guys familiar with this story? I summarize it. Just <laughs> <laughs> some of the other that we talked about of God acting out in ways that we don't expect or the ways we mm-hmm. want him to. And throughout both Naomi's life and Ruth, God required or wanted them to continue on. I mean, have, at any point they truly like wallowed in their self pity. Yeah. They wouldn't have gone to Moab. They wouldn't have gone back to wouldn't have gone to care the, for themselves, but there were opportunities there that could be worked out through, but whether God required it or it's our calling to attempt and try, whatever that may be, and it's similar to a lot of other stories, like there was action required before, not that work save us, but it was, I'm not just going to do it for you, you have to look and pray and then move forward and trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that I struggle sometimes with this, like in this, in the example of the book of like how he's using this as being like this really strange way, because this is kind of how I see God work in my life now. You know, like I don't see God doing these miraculous, like people getting put right here. I see those interactions where someone you know, God works in my life through somebody else that works through my life that we're, you know, I'm connected to this person that's connected to this person. And that's how God works. And so for me, like, sometimes I struggle, I, or as I read this chapter, I kind of struggled to, to piece together how the strangeness of it all, if that makes any sense, of like, I don't see it as being that strange. Because like you said, there's, you have to kind of, you can't just sit back and wait for God. But I feel like that's kind of how we as, you know, 21st century Christians, we operate in that way of, like, we can't just sit back and wait for God to walk in the door and be a weird stranger that, you know, then we have to show hospitality like Abraham did. And so um, in this story, it's kind of like one of those things where I see it as being probably the most, to some degree, relevant to how I can, I can... Um, I can learn through this how Naomi is blessed through Ruth but also how Ruth is used by God in all of this and so I can kind of see myself how am I going to be used by God as like a piece on his big chessboard. Well and I think it's also a good reminder that when you are down in the dumps about something to not just sit and wait like to Stephen's point like there is some sort of action that needs to be happening so I guess the messaging would be like if the next time you are kind of in the midst of a crisis whether it's you or a family member or whoever it is 
ask yourself, are you disconnected from God? Like, should you be praying now? Should you be doing something else? Like, what is the Spirit telling you or calling you to kind of go do, right? So I think... Who are those people you're surrounding yourself with? Yeah. I think it's interesting to think about the story and juxtaposition to Gideon's story because one of the defining things about Gideon is that he had this crippling self-doubt. Yeah. Right? And so the Lord had to be so obvious and vocal and, like, hold his hand along the way sort of thing. (laughs) Like, repeatedly, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to do it. Nope, you're still not doing it right. Like, he was so vocal. And in Naomi and Ruth's life, he's he's silent, right? There is no revelation. There is no, like, strange person that pops into their lives. And so I almost wonder if it says something about, like, the Lord's trust in us when he chooses to be silent, right? Like, the fact that Naomi and Ruth's, particularly Naomi's faith, is what walked her through the valley without the clear and concise direction of the Lord. And so it's like... You get the feeling through Gideon's story that the Lord doesn't trust Gideon to actually follow through with any of the things that he's instructed to do, and so he asked, like, repeatedly reminded, this is what I want you to do. And yet in Naomi and Ruth's story, he doesn't do that, and we see that, like, the their story, story at the end is considered a success, right? They have the lineage of Jesus built in. Yep. And Gideon's story at the end of his is considered a failure, <laughs> and so... Again, I almost wonder if it says something about the way the Lord trusts us or trusts us to lean on our faith in those times when he is more silent, when he is trying to build that. I don't want to have to hold your hand throughout your entire life. I want you to be able to lean back on your faith even when I am not obvious. Yeah, it's good. It's very natural. I think he's, he's always pruning us for something, right? Like, he knows where you are in your faith journey and so he's always like eh she doesn't need some pruning she'll be like she'll figure it out like she'll go on her way right um but I also wonder playing on that if he knew that especially he knew that Naomi had the faith like she hadn't completely lost her faith but it was just like she felt very betrayed by the Lord and so he knew that her faith was still there but he also knew Ruth was really strong and so he knew between the two of them they would kind of work it out, and he didn't need to be hand-holding and guiding them along the way back to Bethlehem um, and throughout. So, yeah, it's good. Anybody else have anything else to add? Just a thought. What do we know about, like, because you just mentioned that Ruth has this strong faith, but being a Moabite, not an Israelite, what is that connection? Do you the connection of Ruth's faith originally, kind of like her origin story? It probably would have been like if we go back to Gideon, the Moabites, the people that have actually invaded the land, right? And they're setting up Baal in Asherah. So I would assume that her faith would be something centered around. It'd be her origin, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. her the faith that she grew up with. Okay. But in that time, when you marry, you totally leave your family. So, like, uh, Ruth really would have looked at Naomi as her mother, mm-hmm. depending on how long she's been living with them. Because of and she could have learned yeah. right. the faith, because the, the sons didn't die for at least 10 years. So, I mean, that's a long time to learn the Christian. Well, it just shows also how strong Naomi's faith is, to some degree, as being the matriarch in his family. To be able to 
show Ruth how to have faith like that too uh, in the long term if that's the case like how to help develop that so yeah sometimes when you're not where you go back to like the as widows they were both super vulnerable but they were still like had people sworn like they had their own family even though they were kind of on their own type of thing um and i think that that also ties back to being in the foreign land versus like from one foreign land to the other right so like you're naomi they obviously welcome her back but now she's bringing back a foreigner with her and for them to welcome her just as much into that community and give her what she needs even though people were talking about oh she's mobite you know she's a foreigner here she's gleaning in the fields like all those type of things but still loved her and welcomed her regardless i think that's something that we can take away into our everyday lives like you had to also just assume that like even when naomi and uh, elimelech go down into moab I don't, I would assume that there's nothing in their brain that said their sons would marry a foreigner. Because that's got to be a little taboo as well. Of this idea of like, you know, now they married this foreigner person. Not, you know. You know so it's almost a. I think some of that taboo exists today. Yeah. Well, is it even more so? Because, like, it's, you know, talking about this. You had, you had to go to your oppressor right. to find any comfort. Mm-hmm. That was two and two in my brain. Everyone else might have been there. That's all we have. Yeah. Anybody have thoughts on Ruth? Questions, comments? Thoughts not on Ruth? Inspirations? <laughs> Everybody have a good week. I like just the other thing that's No, carry on. No. I just think it's interesting too, like the fact that like Boaz doesn't like blazingly lie, but definitely gets really shrewd. Mm-hmm. And it's acceptable or we're supposed to celebrate that. But like knowingly cons the guy into giving up just for this woman's hand in marriage. Yeah. There's all these little subtle things that we just read over as kids and like, oh, he wants to go ahead. Yeah, but we know how this business still went down. This was like pretty clearly. A little sketchy. Also with 
Naomi being a little sketchy is to <coughs> sneak into his room, uncover his feet, and wait for him to wake up. <laughs> so weird. John's matchmaker. So I'm gonna hook. So I'm gonna get people match made from now on. Just go into the room. And cover their feet. And cover their feet. Yeah. 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 Send somebody in. All right, guys. Nothing else. That's it. You're free to go. Where do you hang out? out?